Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we love Jesus. And I just pray now that the words that, uh, that are space available in the class, so if that's something you were thinking about but were kind of on the fence about, uh, please know that you are more than welcome uh, to attend. You can talk to Sally up here or Christy in the bell now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, what is maturity? Now, the definition of maturity or being mature is fully developed in body or mind as a person. So that's, that's the textbook definition, if you will. So we know what it is, but how do we gauge it? How do we know when someone's mature? I think there, there's some that think, you know, when you reach a certain age, let's say maybe 18 or 21, uh, that that sort of automatically makes people adults, and now they have this whole new level of maturity. Um, but I would imagine that if I were to ask, we could all think of examples of a youth or a teenager who may not be mature physically yet, but who is way beyond their years in terms of their um, mental maturity, their thinking processes, and so forth. She's not here today, so I can talk about her. <laughs> but uh, little Kelsey Motzinger, I think, is an example of that. That little girl is way more mature than the average seven or eight-year-old. If you ever have had a chance to talk with her for a few minutes, you would, would know that. But then there's probably also examples you could think of of an adult who is fully mature physically, but who remains mentally immature. So it is certainly possible for an adult fully grown to be immature. Now, did you ever wonder what it might look like if adults had temper tantrums like children. I am going to share with you. Maybe. John, can you kick start this for me? Just go to the next slide. I don't want to pay bills. <laughs> I want to pay bills. I want to pay bills. I want to be there now. I want to be there now. No, 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 no. I don't know where I'm going. Mama, mama. Where's my Wi-Fi? I wanted soy. It is soy. I wanted soy. <laughs> oh <my. I> soy. <laughs> <laughs> what you didn't get to see is something they tell you at the end. They actually used a hidden camera for that last one, so the, the coffee shop people didn't know this was. <laughs> So their reaction was like, you could see the one guy kind of steps away from her, like, who is this? Now, hopefully that video didn't portray the, the behavior of anyone here. 
Although, I could see a few of you pounding your alarm clock like that, especially this morning, right? <laughs> what? It's not time to get up yet. But the thing is that while we may not be immature physically or mentally, it is possible to be, to be immature spiritually. And that's exactly that the issue the author of Hebrews is addressing in the section that we're going to look at today. So if you, uh, we're going to have the text on the screen, but if you have a Bible and wish to follow along, we're going to be looking uh, at Hebrews starting in chapter 5, verse 11, and going to chapter 6, verse 12. All right? So Hebrews, starting at Hebrews 5, 11. Oop. There we go. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and of the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, just to kind of give you a clue right at the outset, if you were looking for some sort of a big idea from this, the big idea is simply that God expects you to become spiritually mature. God expects you to become spiritually mature. So how do I do that, Jeff? Well, I think if we dig into this text a little bit, we'll find out uh, a little bit. But if you wanted to sort of summarize what I'm just about to tell you, you could use four words. Resolve, repent, release, and reactivate. So let's look into that. So first of all, 
resolve to eat solid food comes from verses 13 and 14. So we all know, most of us I would imagine, that babies have to have milk when they're born because their stomachs haven't yet developed the, the digestive processes that are required for solid food. Like my granddaughter is about seven, eight months old now, and she is just starting to eat. Uh, and calling it solid food is a little bit of a misnomer, but you all, you know what I'm talking about. She's eating baby food, so she's graduating. She still has milk, but she's moving on towards more solid food. Mature adults, on the other hand, they need the, the very nutrition that, that solid food gives them. So you can't just survive once you get past a certain point on milk. And so the author of Hebrews is comparing these people that he's writing to, to babies who need to relearn the elementary truths of God's word. And, and so these truths were really just the basics of Christianity. Um, they didn't know and they didn't understand these truths because they hadn't applied them to themselves. You know that we talk about head knowledge versus heart knowledge, you know, and someone can have all the head knowledge in the world, but if they don't ever apply it to anything, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. And I don't imagine, and again, we talk, talk about the fact that these are Jewish Christians that this uh, person is writing to, and I really don't think they intended to get into this kind of lazy, youth, useless state that they found themselves in. But this is pretty clearly what's happened to them, based on what we, we see written to them. Now, however well-intentioned they may have been at the beginning, this is what they've allowed themselves to become. And I think it's a warning that none of us can ignore. Many people casually drift into this low standard of the Christian life simply because they minimize the importance of Christian instruction and disciplined Bible study. You know, quite possibly on most days, you might quietly ponder a few verses and say a quick prayer. But does it ever occur to you that that's not nearly enough? Failing to acknowledge our need for it will cause us to slowly lose our desire. And so somehow or other, however busy that we may get, every Christian needs to find a regular opportunity for serious study of the Bible. Spiritual maturity doesn't develop primarily from the sudden burst of insight. You can have a revelation, maybe, about some, what some part of Scripture means, but it's the day-to-day, -day, I mean, you think of it, I mean, Paul uses, compares a lot of spiritual principles to athletics, right? And so that's really what's in play here, is this idea that you can't go to the gym, lift a barbell once or twice, and be ready for the Olympics. It doesn't work that way. It takes weeks and months and, yes, years of preparation and training to get your body into the condition that's required to participate in some sporting event that is at the highest level literally in the world against all of the world's best athletes. And that's what we're talking about here. So spiritual maturity in this sense comes from dogged use of spiritual resources. Right? It's doing it when you don't feel like doing it. 
Because, hear me, God will bless that. If you just aren't feeling it on a particular day, I would encourage you, do it anyway. God will bless it. I promise you that. And so it's this dogged use of spiritual resources. That's the meat that you need to feed yourself. So number one, resolve to eat solid food. Number two, you become spiritually mature by repenting of any backsliding. Now if we were to really look at these verses in their true context, what most of the interpreters believe this is referring to um, are people who are apostates. Now, if you're not familiar with that word, what it means is simply someone who has walked away from the faith. They've come to know Jesus, they've professed their faith in him, and then for whatever reason, they've just decided, nah, not going to do that anymore, and they completely walk away from it. Okay, that, when you hear the term apostate, that's what that means. And so these people had obviously in earlier days received this gift of God's strengthening power. They'd experienced in their own lives the power of the age to come. Th this dunamis power that we talk about that is part of the Holy Spirit had broken in upon their lives, had transformed their frailty into adequacy, their impotence into strength. They've been sharers in the Holy Spirit's work. They've received this incomparable word from the people that were teaching them, and they'd experienced his unrivaled power. And now they had trampled these treasures beneath their feet. To the Hebrew Christians this was written to, these verses reveal the danger of forsaking Christianity and returning to Judaism, because that's where they were headed. Remember, they were Jews. And so, for whatever reason, they'd fallen upon some hard times, whatever, felt like, well, this Christian thing's just not working for me, so I'm going to go back to all these rituals that I find comforting. But they're committing apostasy when, that, when they do that. But I think this passage can also be applied to superficial believers who renounce their Christianity or to unbelievers who come just this close to salvation and then step away. The passage can also describe people in our churches who act like and seem to be Christians but haven't truly believed. Now when those assumed to be believers turn away, the debate that you may have afterwards might be, well, were they originally believers or not? But see, we've got to heed the warning, not debate the issue. Now, I truly doubt that there is anybody here today that would be I would consider an apostate. You wouldn't be here if you were. I mean, if you had turned away from the faith, you simply wouldn't be here. But maybe, maybe... You're like one of the members of the church at Ephesus that John was instructed to write this letter to in Revelation. And it is about you, he says, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. 
Maybe Jesus just isn't as important to you as he used to be. Maybe you stopped looking for opportunities to tell people about him. Maybe you think you know God so well that you believe that there is little else to learn. If that's the case, you are worshiping a very, very small God. But see, if that's the case, there's good news in this. You just need to recognize the problem and repent. Just turn away from it. Return home to Jesus and return home to the Father and you will be welcomed with open arms. So the second is repent. Third, you become spiritually mature by releasing the crop that grows within you. Now, a farmer naturally expects that given the right conditions of moisture and fertility, the land that he's cultivating actually will produce a crop. A fruitful ground responds to those conditions that God provides, and it actually produces useful results. A thorny ground, on the other hand, shows it's unworthy of God's blessings, and it just produces weeds, thorns and thistles, the text says. This agricultural um, analogy also can uh, pertain to the spiritual realm as well. Believers who persevere in faith are like fertile land that can expect further blessing from God. Those who produce fruit give evidence that they are receiving God's blessings and that God will then increase your productivity. The people or groups who produce nothing but weeds just demonstrate their barrenness. If you profess Christ but then turn away from him and never produce credible evidence of commitment, then you are living a barren, unproductive life. There's got to be something there. I'm going to use my favorite quote, my friend Pete. Some of you have heard it probably ten times. But my friend Pete once said, you don't have to go around telling everybody you're a Christian, just make sure it's not a surprise when they find out. Amen. An unproductive Christian life falls under God's condemnation. Look, you have all been watered by God's grace with clear and abundant teaching and preaching. And that I'm not talking about myself. You've all been in churches for a long time. You've heard, I know, a lot of accurate, good, solid, biblical preaching and teaching. And so given that, what excuse do any of us have for a useless or unproductive life? You know what a chino is? C-H-I-N-O? Stands for Christian in name only. Don't be a chino. Make sure that your life bears fruit. Release the crop that is within you so that others can benefit as well. That's exactly what we're talking about for Easter, right? It doesn't have to be hard. We're not asking you to go out and pray for 100 people, although that would be terrific if you would. But just simply finding someone that you could say, hey, why don't you come with me to church this Sunday? It's Easter. 
it's going to be a really good service. Why don't you come? You've just put on the shoes of an evangelist when you do that. Not that hard. And finally, you become spiritually mature by reigniting your passion for Jesus. It's really funny. I don't know if you're catching this, but everything that was said this morning kind of is filtering through this message. And I mean, I don't tell people what I'm preaching on, but, you know, what Rich said and um, who else came up? John, right, and, and Wes, it all filtered through this idea of spiritual maturity. And so, in this particular case, in these verses, the author here is asking them to continue to show the same diligence so that they might make sure, uh, make their hope sure. And so the strong urging here is to certify their hope, suggest that perhaps in that moment they weren't sure. They may have lacked assurance in somehow. It's like, well, am I really saved? What's, you know, I'm not, this is kind of new to me. Maybe I'm not saved yet. They may have had love for other believers, but they lacked the assurance for themselves. And so the writer makes the, his wish personal. He emphasizes to them that he wants each of them to experience this assurance. And then he makes another positive emphasis by urging them to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit God's promises. And so they needed to emerge from these spiritual doldrums that they were in and become followers of the heroes of faith, such as we sort of we're going to talk about in a few weeks that are mentioned in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And so to reach these goals, they had to demonstrate a faith in God's provision to them and a patience which refuses to quit under pressure. Now, there's a lot there, but honestly, I think the shorthand, shorthand answer to this is simply to reignite your passion for Jesus. Have you ever heard the saying that familiarity breeds contempt? And I think contempt is too strong a word for what we're talking about, but I think the principle applies. When you become overly familiar with something, it tends to lose its luster. Perhaps that's the case for you and Jesus. You've heard the stories about him, even read them countless times. And in the process, Jesus becomes just another character in the Bible instead of your Lord the one whose life made possible an abundant life for you today, and the one whose death made possible an everlasting life for you in eternity. And so if that's what has happened, then take some steps to get to know Jesus all over again. Ask, first of all, ask God to help you know Jesus better. I can't imagine that there are many prayers that God would love to answer more than that one. Lord, help me to know Jesus better. Perhaps get a different Bible like the message or the voice translation and reread those familiar stories in a new and different way. Recall what it felt like when you first understood what Jesus had done for you. 
you remember? The vision I'll, when I say this, the vision that I have, and those of you that were there will remember this. When our friend Ray came up out of the baptismal water, the day he was baptized, the look on his face was the most beautiful thing I think I have ever seen. He had a, a joy that was unbelievable. That's what I'm talking about. It's go back and find that. Find that moment in your own life when you made that decision and you realized what Jesus had done and that he had done it for you and that he would have done it for only you if you were all that there was. And another thing you can do is to read a book and um, like Brennan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel. If you've never read that, I would highly encourage you to read it. It's a book that just overflows with descriptions of the love and the grace and the goodness of Jesus. Fan into flame whatever lingering love you have for Jesus and watch what happens in your life. Anybody recognize that guy? Beatle George Harrison once said that the first really decent guitar that he owned was the Gretsch Duojet. It was an electric guitar manufactured by Gretsch Guitars, and it was known for kind of a trebly tone that it had. In the early 60s, Harrison bought the guitar for 70 pounds, which was about $200 at that time. In 2011, Gretsch Guitars announced that the company would manufacture a limited run of 60 exact replicas of George Harrison's Duojet guitar as a tribute model. USA Today reported that Gretsch Guitars product manager Joe Carducci says master craftsman Stephen Stern recreated the guitar precisely, replicating the nicks and dings of a half century's use, even using a CAT scan to determine the semi-hollow guitar's body chambering style. And the suggested retail price for the Tribute Duo Jets would be $20,000. Kyle, how many can I put you down for? <laughs> Probably the same as me, none. This is an expensive guitar because it replicates the original so closely. Can you see where I'm going here? In the same way, you and I find our highest value in becoming an amazing replica of someone whose worth is infinite. Jesus. That's what being a spiritually mature Christian is all about. If you're doing everything that you can to be more like Jesus, then I commend you. Today we've talked about four areas. Huh. <laughs> Wonder where the fourth one went. Resolve, repent, release, and reignite. Which of these areas do you need to pay more attention to? 
Do you need to resolve to stop drinking milk and start eating meat? Do you need to repent of going backwards instead of forwards? Do you need to spend more time releasing what the Holy Spirit has already put inside of you? Or do you need to just reignite the passion for Jesus that you once had? See, I commended you if this is what you're already doing, but I don't condemn you if this is not what you're doing. I want to encourage you. It's not too late to get this right. We all need these reminders from time to time. You know, we get in a habit, and, you know, I can be as guilty of it as anybody else. You, you know, you, you hit a busy period in your life, and you start to look for ways that you can sort of get more done. And the easiest one to do is to start sacrificing that time in the morning. All right, well, I'll get a little bit of a head start on the day. I'll just check my emails at home. Or I'll, you know, do this or I'll do that. Or I want to get to the office a little bit earlier or whatever. It's, it's easy to do. But this is, this is a reminder. Maybe it's a wake-up call. I don't know. But you can get back on track. And we couldn't be in a better time to do that than this season of Lent that we're in. Lent is a season where we sacrifice something as we await the coming resurrection of our Lord. And so is there something that you can give up in terms of the way you're spending your time and focus more on, on building your spiritual maturity. I would encourage you to think about that as you go forth from here. Think about how, how that might, what that might look like. And I will tell you, I'm not, you know, yes, it would be great if you could spend an hour every day or more. I understand that that's not always practical. And especially if you aren't doing a whole lot right now, that might seem like a just, oh my gosh, how how would I do that? Well, don't start with an hour. This is like someone who decides to fast for 40 days when they've never fasted before. It's like a recipe for failure. I had a lady in the church years ago who had never fasted before, decided she was going to fast for seven days. And she came to me on Sunday, and she was distraught because she'd only made it for three or four days. She'd never done it before. And I looked at her, and I said, only three or four days? Are you kidding me? For the first time, you know, you should have started out with like 24 hours. Just see how that goes. You know, and then work into it gradually. It's the same thing with this. If you'll start, start with 15 minutes if you're not doing a lot right now. Just find a Bible reading plan, do that, ask God what to read. That's a wonderful way to do it. So, Lord, what do you want me to read today? And then read that for 15 minutes. Spend some time in quiet contemplation. But get started 
on building that up, and you will grow uh, and become spiritually mature. And what I think I want us to do today is, um, Chip, you want to come? And um, I just want to release the Holy Spirit to empower you to make whatever changes that you might need so that you can grow in maturity. Um, and so as, as Chip plays, uh, if you want to come up front, you can. If you want to get somebody else in the church to pray with you, that's fine. Um, but it, especially if there's a particular area that I've hit on that has really been speaking to you, then, then let somebody pray with you about that. There's, there's real power in coming forth and saying, I need to resolve to read my Bible more. I need to repent from kind of sliding backwards a little bit. I want to reactivate or reignite my passion for Jesus. Any of those things. If, if that's you, then get somebody to pray with you so that you can sort of make that commitment with someone else and let them come alongside of you in this moment and join with you in, in praying for that. So let's pray. Father God, you have demonstrated through your word that you do desire that we would become more spiritually mature. that you can use us to much greater capacity when we spend more time with you and seeking the things that you seek. So, pa Father, I, I just pray for a quickening in the spirit of everybody here that, that desires for a closer walk and a closer relationship with you. Let us resolve today to make the changes necessary so that we will all grow and not be babies any longer. getting the sense that, that what the Lord would say to all of us is that he's pleased. He's pleased with what you've done, but there's more to do. And so don't stop. Don't be satisfied. <coughs> Continue to, to press in same as what Chip has talked about on numerous occasions with worship. You can press in for maturity as well. So Father, just bless all these your people.
just give you thanks. Thanks and praise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, I invite you. Um, John, are you going to be in the back somewhere? John will be back there. I'll be up here. Like I said, if you, Don will be back there as well. So, if you need to pray with somebody, then seek them out now and, and, uh, and, and, and get that taken care of. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.
Uh-huh. 
For oh. 